listeners, we are Radical Minds, a podcast discussing life skills, wellness tools, coping strategies, and shared experiences to create spaces for improved mental health. We're your hosts, Brian Smith and Mitch Collins. This episode is numero uno. The first ever. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. (laughs) Today, Ryan and I will be interviewing each other so everyone can get to know us a little bit. Um, You can find out what we're all about. Um, and I think that's a great place to start. I agree. Let's get into it. Let's do it. All right. So, my bud, my pal. Yes. Bestie. Bring it. <laughs> what What's your goal for our podcast, man? That is a huge question. Um, I th- the goal, f- I mean, this has been something we've been talking about for at least five years. Uh, I think it's a uh, shared love for the work that we do. It's taking the things that we have, or I'll, I'll speak for myself, things that I've struggled with and the things that I've applied to my life, if you want to say changes, life hacks, um, reevaluating who I am and um, sharing that with others. I just want to help build community of people that um, are looking to improve their lives. I just say if I can make today better than tomorrow, then it's a win. So that's, that's my main goal. Yeah, that'll evolve over time, but that's what it is right now. So, how about you? Same question. Why, why, why do this? Yeah. So, agreed. We've been talking about this for a long time. I think personally, for me, um, you know, we work in mental health, and I think part of that evolution, that journey, is that we're always working on ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so, part of this is kind of uh, a. a process that I can continue to work on myself and do that with somebody that I trust and I appreciate uh, having in my life and that's you that's right yeah right shared and so um and it's a opportunity to create and uh it's a good outlet to have and I've said I've been drawn to this for some reason I it keeps coming up I keep getting pulled to do it so um for whatever reason I feel like the universe is uh you know saying hey knucklehead yeah. You know, let's sit down and do this and have fun. And I so. remember asking you, there's millions of podcasts. Why does the world need one more podcast, right? Exactly. So. Well, I think, you know, if we can reach and, you know, the audience of us in a sense, right? So if there's someone else out there that's kind of in a similar situation uh, or, you know, just is looking to, you know, hear a couple of guys to share their story and, mm-hmm. and it helps helps them out um, and it helps us Definitely. personally along the way then it's a win even if it's just one person so yeah. I'm and excited to do it and that's something I would say is this is a chance to kind of sharpen my skills also stretch myself in something right. that I haven't done before right. and that's something that I think both of us agree that I always want to be stretching myself I don't want to get complacent regardless of how old I am I don't want to just say I'm kind of settled and I'm just going to accept you know this is this is kind of where I where I get off the train. I don't want to, <laughs> I want to stay on the train and I don't want to keep traveling and yeah. trying new things. And this is part of that journey for me. So right. I say, uh, let's soup up that train. That's right. Yeah. Put the thrusters on it. The spoiler. Exactly. <laughs> you know, we're I don't gonna, know anything about We're going to be flying this thing. Yeah. The time we're done. Some switches. <laughs> I see it bounce down the tracks. Okay. So we've kind of alluded to a kind of a, a background in mental health. So I'll ask you, how do you answer the, what do you do, Ryan, question when you're out having, you know, fine drinks and chilling with new people that maybe you haven't met before? Uh, <laughs> it's, you know, 
two, like two decades of me doing this kind of work and it's what we do is so hard to quantify it's so hard to i think it takes a lot of personal kind of resilience and strength to say what how do i show what i'm doing is is better you know every year and how do i even explain what i do um I always make the comparison, you know, we joke about like if we built houses for a living or we built cars, I could finish the day saying, hey, I built 10 cars a day. How many did you build? And you say, I, I built 12. I'm like, that's cool, man. We can tell. I know exactly what I did. This kind of work, it's hard to measure. Like, how do you help somebody change, you know, and how do you measure like your effectiveness at doing that? You know, was it really you? Was it really just circumstances or somebody else or lots of factors why people make changes? So to explain what I do, that's a hard conversation basically is I'm here to help. I'm here to help people, you know, on their path and um, share what I can share to get them. They're not happy where they are. How do I help them get where they're, you know, going to be happy? And that's, that's very, I guess, esoteric, but it's, it's the closest I can get to, to explain it, you know? So, and you and I've had different roles in our lives, you know, in this kind of work. How do you, how do you explain, you know, what do you do, man? You know, when you get that question, someone else is like, yeah, I'm a manager of a so-and-so, and I'm a, you know, I run the car wash down the street. I mean, how do you even explain? Uh, it's difficult, and I, I sometimes, I mean, in full disclosure, I gauge whether or not I want to have a longer conversation than I have time for. Right. Um, do you have the time But, for I mean, if I'm, okay, so, like, the original question was, you know, if I'm out, you know, socializing, and there, there is, a, you know, a certain amount of time, and I find the person you know, um, genuinely interested in, you know, having a conversation, then I will kind of be straightforward and let them know, you know, presently I help, you know, manage a program that works with adults who are, you know, currently in the justice system, um, meaning they've, you know, committed some sort of uh, crime or if they've been convicted of some sort of crime and they are now out on probation and they are living with uh, a severe mental illness. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's a lot to unpack for people. And usually yeah. I, sometimes they're really interested and other times they You can tell over. right away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so then uh, based on kind of like their follow-up or uh, question, then I'll either go more into it or, right. their, or it might just be, well, okay, great. Yeah. And then they kind of move on because yeah. it kind of is a lot. And you can tell quickly you share the, the challenges of your day and the dinner party looks at you and goes and your, your work's depressing and then they move on to something else that's happened to both of us yes it has so. yes it has um but you know it's not it's not depressing i i try to explain to people my follow-up immediately if they're still listening and they haven't glazed over is you know it's really an opportunity to help people um be better humans to reintegrate into the community mm -hmm. reintegrate in society and i said the reality is if i can help this person who's in my program not only am I helping them, but it has a kind of uh, X factor. It, I could potentially be, you know, helping potential victims. Like, if they don't, if they're not out there because they're reintegrated, they're not committing right. new crimes, right? And you, so, you intervene in a way that changes the course of their life. Right, so it has, a, yeah. it has a quantifiable ripple effect, right. I guess, is what I'm saying. And I so. think if you look at society, if we want to say, what is a civilized society, I think you can measure what makes a society civil based on how do we help those who are on the very edges of what we'd say is 
whatever we want to say is, is, is normal or common or healthy. I think you can tell like the quality of the society itself. So how do you help the people that are the most challenged, the people that have the most barriers that most of us will never understand or ever experience? And you and I get to be part of that you know, for years now and see we know the people we've worked with and they've been completely looked over by society for, for decades, you know, and they may continue to be. And not for people like us that, not that we're the, the, the great hopes that show up, but, but we're willing to sit there with them in, in the challenging spaces and, you know, really be there to help and to listen, which so many people, you know, I mean, I'll tell you right now and I'll keep saying it. I've learned more from what I do from the people I work with than I'll ever be able to help them like the resilience and the strength and the things that they've continued to be able to, to go through and to get up every day and keep fighting, you know, it's, that's a lot. So I think society can be measured by, you know, how do we really help those that are, you know, possibly hard to help, you know? Absolutely. I would say that, uh, the, the privilege, I've had the privilege of working with what many people would say is a fringe population, but they've been some of my best teachers I've ever had. Yeah. They're the most raw, authentic, real, genuine, yeah. genuine yeah. people. And they have such, at times, horrifying stories. And they've survived such um, atrocious atrocities and trauma in their life. Yet, here they are, and they're still, you know, trying to be better. Which And, and that's pretty powerful stuff. Which leads to something we're going to be talking about. Something you and I are fascinated with is, like, the concept of hope. You know, I think that this population has... This group of people has inspired more hope in me than anything else that I've that I've done. You know, that sometimes when you and I are not in those settings, we don't have as much patience for other, for other people. Considering like what the kind of cards they were dealt compared to what other people were dealt, you know, and say like, hey, if the guy I know is dealing with this and he can smile and he can laugh and he can make me laugh, then you don't really have a lot to you know to right. really complain about. Right. But yeah, everyday problems are. Um seem minor when you they seem very minimal yeah. in comparison um, but I, I try to remember that you know that's their reality and uh, but it is tough being yeah. in the field for a long time and explaining that to other people outside of that which means you we've talked about that we gravitate towards each other it's a small community of people that because we understand you know like the shared experience of, of what we're doing so outside of that setting we you know, I can feel, kind of feel left out, like at those dinner parties that we're talking about, or those events, or the barbecues that you know that we go to. You know, and that's okay. I mean, it's not going to change. This leads to our next question: is, you know, why would we choose mental health? So, you know, what do you find that draws you to it? Well, I think we kind of already talked about having the hope and the uh, absolute just determination of the human spirit, right? Um, and that the reality is is that people can endure extreme trauma and they can heal from yeah. that trauma and be so resilient, that's yeah. super powerful it's, you know that they're very resilient and that gives me a lot of hope and strength for myself um you know as i as i navigate this crazy orb that we're currently mm-hmm. residing on or it's flat who knows well it might, it might be flat yeah yeah <laughs> No, I'm just joking. Uh, I'm not a flat earther. No, I'm not. I'm just I, joking. I know you're not, but <laughs> I'm trying to be respectful. That's the so discourse that. we have right now. But anyway. Yeah. yeah. Have, people, you have the right to your own reality. Yeah, sure. Just saying. You find that edge and you fall off. I'm just saying Let it's me round. know. It's round, yeah. Send that pin to me if you fall off to the edge somewhere. I want to see. Because I want to go there. Yeah. Because I've never found it yet. Yeah. You know, but when I think back, like, what, like, 
was there a a moment a or a moment a yeah. catalyst not really i mean i remember being in junior college and popping into literally psych 101 and uh thinking you know it's kind of cool mm-hmm. you know the myers-briggs personality test and i thought yeah, that's pretty interesting and um, were you doing psychology yet or you weren't doing psychology no I, I that wasn't my major i was gonna be a graphic artist of all things which yeah, well, thank God I didn't do that. <laughs> but, yeah, so I popped into that class, and then I just uh, started getting more fascinated by it. I love to learn, and so um, the mind uh, definitely was uh, something that fascinated yeah. me. And then as I started going through these courses, and I started taking more and more of them, I started connecting the dots and looking back at my family history um, and, and people that were in my life and going, oh, that explains. That explains that makes a lot. Yep. So, yeah. So, um, and then that just kind of kept drawing me in, and I, you know, changed my major and haven't looked back since then. So yeah. It's been, a, it's been a great ride. Yeah. How about you? Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know that I even knew this was a thing. I didn't even know this existed when I was, um, you know, when I was growing up. Um, I remember my mom actually worked at the same facility where they filmed One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. That's a little factoid that you probably didn't even know by looking on your face. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Oregon. Oregon. That's right. Salem. Salem. Yep. I used to drive by it all the time. My wife and I visited. Oh, did you? When we no were way. there. On of you. course. I mean, right. Yeah, you have to. Hey, what'd you do in Oregon? Oh, we went to visit. Only hospital. people that work in mental yeah, health. exactly. Nobody else would do that. Yeah, but fascinating history. Yeah. Fascinating history. Uh, My mom worked there and I didn't know. What? Yeah. She did that like I was first, second grade. And she'd just go off to work. I didn't know what she was doing. She's working in a locked facility. You know, that was... Well, I mean, you and I know that's a, mostly a thing in the past. Locked facilities are almost gone. Yeah. But that one's still, you know, going. So I guess to say that it's been somewhere in the context of my mind without knowing that it was, and then challenges that I've dealt with, challenges my sister's dealt with, and uh, my family, and starting to... Something that you and I will constantly be talking about is... The concept of stigma, you know, is talking mm-hmm. about, which is probably something else I should add to the reason to do this, um, is to, you know, define and, and break down stigma, you know, as much as, you know, if my car is leaking oil, I take it to the mechanic, right? If I have a cold, I go to the doctor. But for some reason, when it's like I face challenge or I lose somebody in my life, going to see somebody to talk to is whoa, you're not one of those, are you? You're not that, you, you okay, you know? Right. That's that's the, the very, you know, micro amount yeah. of kind of stigma that we've seen with people that we care about being really way past that, that you can't handle school, you can't handle your job, you can't handle, you know, because of this. My kids aren't safe with you if you're a teacher. These are all people, that, stories that I know from, you know, doing this for so long. But that's another reason to do this is to be part of that, kind of that change agent to say, hey, everybody needs this. If you want to be healthy, you want to be a happy person, you have good relationships, then you need this. So it's that Ayn Rand you know, topic about is anything truly just for the good of others? It's, I don't think it is. I get something, I'll admit, I get as much out of this as, you know. So I would be lying if I said I was just this selfless you know, martyr doing this to, you know, to save everybody, which I can't do that. That's not my role at all, but which is a whole other that's a whole other topic, topic we could go into about the kind of work the people we work with but so it's 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 the challenge of it it's the seeing the change it's seeing you know breakthroughs that you you know you see in people's lives and like you said it does give you hope in the kind of the strength of the human spirit to bounce back from 
you know, pretty amazing circumstances. So, yeah, yeah, it's been a, it's been a really uh, great ride, you know, overall. And uh, had I go back, I would pick the same. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't change anything. Yeah, I would definitely pick the same field. I probably would do things differently. Obviously, sure. hindsight being twenty twenty, yeah. uh, but definitely feel like this work is um, a passion. And uh, you have to have that, and you have to have the heart and the, you know, the compassion, the empathy for others. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was and, working with. But you're absolutely right. You do absolutely benefit from, from yep. working in the field. Uh, you definitely get a lot out of this work. Yeah, I went into college thinking I would do like uh, pre-law and 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 political science, and but in my spare time, I was volunteering and working with youth and. That led to, you know, working overseas and come back from this kind of whirlwind of, you know, traveling around, helping people in different communities. And then then it's time to figure out what I want to do to build a career. And then um, a counselor, you know, said to me, well, you could get paid for what you've been doing already for the last 10 years. I'm like, what? You can get paid for doing this kind of stuff that I love doing? And that led me in the whole path of, you know, social science and then, you know, getting my master's. And so, yeah, you just... Yeah, congratulations on that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that was still like a very, big hurdle. Very, very humble. Yeah. Masters of social work. Right yeah. Here. Yeah. That is a massive feat. Yeah, so, it is. So yeah, it is. Very excited to see how that's going to uh, flourish and grow. Manifest. And, and yeah. Manifest destiny for you. So, yeah. It's going to be super I'm excited. exciting. Uh, so, speaking of like going through that whole process of learning, has there been any new beliefs or behaviors or habits that you have adopted within the last couple of years? I mean, you just went through the program um, that you feel has positively impacted your life. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, this work can, um, I wouldn't say, I, I mean, I'm saying work, but I'm really thinking this has just become a way of life for me, is um, that kind of being uh, genuine and being um we know some of us kind of, um, we were just talking about this earlier, like code switching. I don't think that you and I really code switch. This is just who we are all the time. I think as I become more aligned with that, that I don't feel like I need to code switch. This is just what I do. So one of the big changes for me has been the belief of this is that I'm here to save somebody else. And that was how I started. I think a lot of people start this work thinking I'm here to save. Some people build their whole careers out of saying you know, and you're nodding your head, so you know where I'm going with this because you've experienced it too. A, a big revelation is I'm not here to save anybody. You know, um, that's not my job, um, and I can't do it. Uh, managing myself day to day is already a big enough challenge. Let alone to think I can code switch and now be the master to fix, you know, or the expert to fix somebody else. So that's been one of the biggest revelations, and you've known me since you've seen that happen. Um, it is not possible and it is exhausting and it is a way to burn out you know doing what we do if you think that you're going to fix somebody else so the the evolution has been uh i'm here to share kind of my journey with you and i'm trying to level out like we talked about the hierarchy of you know working with others and leveling that playing field and saying i'm here with you let's do this together so that's been the biggest evolution in the work you know for me is is let's get there together what do you want to do where do you want to get and you know i'll help you the best i can but you know that that belief that i'm sure you're gonna you share about too is that i believe that that person can do it themselves you know i'm just the person that's there at the time you know to help them and i may only be one part of that you know there could be seven eight more people or dozens you know we talk about how 
society used to be that community of people, you know, working together. And that community has really eroded, you know, since the, you know, back way back in the seventies, I think where we start seeing that eroding of like communities, you know, really does take a village and all the programs that you've worked in, I've worked in that we see work the best. It is that village that's helping getting around that person and, and wrapping around them. Um, so I'd say that's the biggest evolution is that role of like, you know, expert for just being more of a role of the peer, you know, that's been a huge, you know, um, evolution for me so how about you any big revelations or changes well i would absolutely echo that i mean it is pretty counterintuitive right i think a lot of people uh who are seeking therapy or seeking out a quote-unquote mental health program walk in with an expectation that you know the people that work there are experts in the field and they're going to give me a prescription to solve it. And I'm not yeah. saying like a, med- uh, a medication prescription, which they could, but I think a lot of times people are thinking, well, they're just going to land, you know, give me an outline right. and that'll you know, fix I everything. start knocking out, you know, going to step by step and I'm good to go. Right. And the reality is that's so far from the truth. Yep. Um, you know, we really are here uh, to wrap around you, to support you and absolutely um, be shoulder to shoulder with you, which I think is very counterintuitive for people that don't expect that. And I think that does create some uh, disturbance or friction for people initially. Or even like fancy terms, cognitive dissonance. So like the people that we work with, even, you know, that you and I have worked with in different programs. And when we, you and I approach the team and say, hey, this is how we're going to do things. And they're like, well, then why do we need managers? Why do we need... <laughs> You know why I need supervisors, and you're laughing because I'm. That's my follow-up for you is because you have supervised more than one program, so you've had this evolution that says that I'm not the expert, and I'm here to work with you, but you're now being paid to be kind of the expert over them. So how do you, how do you reconcile that change, and how's that still you know influencing your work? Well, I would say that there's uh, there's time and places for being someone's peer and there are other times where someone does absolutely need some direction an answer right? yeah sometimes you, you know there's crisis that happens and someone needs to step in and lead yeah right and really take um that take the wheel and take yeah. the wheel and yeah. kind of get the follow get, me we're going this get way the, get yeah. the car back in the in the lane yeah so we don't crash um but it, along the way when whenever there are opportunities that present where somebody comes in and they say you know hey you know boss can, can what do I do in this situation instead of in just jumping to the answer right. and giving them that answer right. which ultimately takes away their power and takes away mm-hmm. um, their growth uh, stopping for a second and, and just asking them well, what do you think right you should do in this situation so learning opportunity yeah Absolutely. some growth and that is jarring for people but mm-hmm. it really allows them the space to think about it and more often than not they have the answer they do and they really appreciate it they kind of get this like spark like oh you want to know how what i would do and they really does change that structure that you and i have been raised with and most jobs have this kind of structure in place where there's a hierarchy, you know, that you have to follow the chain, chain of command. You and I have heard it for years. Chain of command, chain of command. Right. And there's places, like you said, but the majority of the day isn't really chain of command. The majority no. of the day should be those opportunities for growth, right? Right. I think I'm always working myself out of my job, which is hard for people to accept that because some people want to kind of live their life doing the one or two things that they are you know they're good at doing but i'm like hey i want to be in a place that you don't need me you're the, i know you feel the same it, you know i, I i'm going to be invisible i'm just going to help give you what you need and i want to see you fly you know by yourself right 
sometimes people just need you to hold that space for them. Right. For, the, for you to sit to there, fill it, yeah. to hear them, to allow them to speak out loud. And when they do that, the they already got come. it. The yeah, they've come. already got and it. And then it's just like, yeah. you know, that's that high five moment. Like, yeah, yeah man, go with that. Mm -hmm. Like, that is a great idea. And sometimes I come up with better eyes than, than you had. I have. That's right. <laughs> you know what I Because you might be juggling that. 10 different things at the time, yeah. or you're just, you've already got your lens of how you see things, which we all have our lens. You know, we always have our bias. We always talk about bias all the time. Right. And, and it's the same for the people that come into our office looking for help, right? Mm -hmm. so sometimes it's not, it's not our staff either. It's our, you know, the clients that we serve, you know, just sometimes holding that space. That's all right. they need. They just need that time and someone that's willing to sit and listen. And that's very, I mean, that's very therapeutic to do. I mean, without knowing that you're doing something therapeutic, that if we did that with our own relationships, which you and I, getting back to that playing of, of this is not just work this is how i live my life now and that, i think you and i've always talked about that that work life home life connection you know if you can get those in some kind of alignment you know some kind of you know congruity then you feel so much which i was going to ask you is you know i'm already answering it for myself is so much more freeing so much more satisfying i'm coming home feeling less stressed you know less overwhelmed i'm not carrying as much stuff home anymore like i used to right my wife is very happy about that not hearing me dump about you know yeah, hard day I've had all the stuff it's you know a lot of times you know that's not for us to solve right you know? from the and, first place yeah it's so you know we're getting back to kind of what you had asked you know what is the you know biggest change I think you know coming across um, this really great book of uh, the four agreements which is now the five, five agreements, agreements yeah um, does incorporate a lot of what we're talking about it's you know don't make assumptions right and don't take things personal Right? Do your best. And these are very simple things. Um, but very, very, very hard to implement in your life. Yeah. Extremely challenging. But if you can practice it, you're not always going to be 100%. You're not, we are really programmed to assume a lot, right? Mm -hmm. um, as humans. Because of our own protection, our right. own insecurities. or Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we take things personal all the time. Unfortunately, we're naturally... Sometimes we think that we're the center of the universe, right? And everything revolves around us, and that's just not the case, right? right. Um, so if you can let some of that go, or, or practice letting some of that go, um, you're just going to be so much better off in your life. You're going to be able to let go of a lot of things, yeah. and uh, you're just going to, you know, keep on trucking and be a lot happier. I mean, I know that's been the byproduct for me in practicing these things. Now, do I slip back and fall? Oh, and, sure. And start assuming and. But the thing is, is like because I've been doing this for a while and practicing that, you catch yourself faster. It. Yeah, faster. And yeah. when I catch it, that creates that awareness, that space, so then I can say, "Oh yeah, I'm doing that again. Yep. I'm making assumptions again. Yep. I'm gonna let go of that. And I don't really know. And the, the idea when you when you notice that you're doing that, ask questions. Right. Clarify. Mm -hmm. You know, I know it's hard for people these days, especially with social media and all these things. Right. But you know, sit down, look somebody in the eye, mm -hmm. ask them. Have a conversation. Hey, did you mean what you said? Yeah, when this you... is what I'm hearing. Yeah, because I I heard this. Maybe my radar is off today. Right. I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah, nine times out of ten. No, I didn't right. say that that way. I didn't mean it to come off like that. And now we're getting to that triggered conversation, which you know that's a whole other discussion of you know trigger alert, all the trigger warnings and stuff that you know um, younger people are using a lot, and more people are using it too. But if, like you said, if we did stop and give not only give other people space, give ourselves space. Say, am I reading this right? You know, where am I at? And this is coming up later is, you know, how am I doing? You know, and I got to check in with me first before I start making all those assumptions because 
that leads to a lot of... Right. And then the other part of it is just, you know, checking yourself in the sense of, like, what are you putting out there? Right. You know? Are you, are you spreading positivity and love? Or are you spreading, you know, gossip and hate? Right. And, oh man, if you really start looking at that, whew, when I first started looking at it, I was spinning, you know, spitting a lot of venom. Yeah. A lot of venom. Is that the, the animal you feed is one that grows? You know, that, yeah, the positive that dog or the yeah. negative dog, right? Yeah. And they're always fighting, and the one that's going to win is the one you feed, you feed all the time. That's right. Right? Great. Yeah, that's a great book, too. Right? Yeah. I can't remember which one that is, but, yeah. So, yeah, that, that would be my answer to that, for sure. Okay, so let's switch gears. Uh, okay. I know you said you weren't ready for this. So let's try it anyway. Cool. Um, what purchase have you made of less than $100 that has most improved your life? Okay, so I'm going to totally color outside the lines on this one. Okay. That's okay. Because... We'll allow it. Yeah, we'll allow it. Yeah. You'll allow it? Because yeah, potentially... Potentially. It could be. It could be less than $100. Yeah. Or even free at times. Okay. Okay. But I would have to say that Moxie, <laughs> my, my best pooch, yeah. my man's best friend, truly best friend, yeah. has hands down been the best purchase I've made. And I know that sounds weird because it's a living thing. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, I don't yeah, I own you. technically own you, yeah. but... I did pay for you. Yeah, I did pay for you. I did pay for you. Something happened. A purchase happened. Yeah, dude, just like coming home to that unconditional love and having this little bean that is just so stoked to see you all the time. You, walk the yeah. wire, you know, and she just does the funniest things. And I think, um, yeah, that's uh, hands down the best purchase I've ever made, you know, ever. I wouldn't even say in the last couple of years. So, man, that's a good one. I had a similar, but yeah. How about you? I mean, yeah, the dog that I, you know, was given by a really good friend of both of ours. So uh, technically free? He was technically free, so that's under $100. But like, maybe costing you more than $100 over time. Oh, sure. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> of course. Um, yeah, I mean, that's something that you don't think... You can't predict the benefits of, you know, adding that to your life. And I'll say even for, for my wife, how it's enhanced her life, too. You know, and I think we... Uh, I'll say as adults, we get to an age where we, we want to, you want to care for something, you know, and that's, uh, you know, I don't have, I don't have kids and that's another discussion, but I'll say briefly that, um, I believe that I've kind of spent my life kind of, you know, helping other people and raising, you know, children of different ages for, you know, 20 years. So I, I get that. I get that opportunity at my job, you know, all the time. And I love, I love, you know, that I love working with, with, um, with young people, especially, but, but having, like you said, having that one thing that's just so thrilled to see you, you know, or just tells you when you, when they want love, you know, and he'll come up to me and, you know, nudge me like, Hey, love me. I'm like, okay, sure. Let's do that. And that's more important. If I'm playing a game or I'm watching, I'm like, Nope, this is more important. You know, having that moment, you can actually feel the stress, you know, uh, leaving you know like you can feel it kind of melting away when you know he puts his head on my shoulders or he yeah i, don't, I should mention my wife is part of that too but but i didn't purchase her so <laughs> right uh, so see how i cheated <laughs> yes that was a good maneuver yeah well that worked okay, best. <laughs> uh, okay so how in, in in times um where life can get kind of rough and a lot of things are going on. Um, you may feel overwhelmed or unfocused. 
lose focus temporarily. What are some things that you do to counter that mm-hmm. in your life? There's, I just thought of that. Um, I need to get some quotes on this, but I'll just say this. We're not good code switchers. We're not good. The myth of multitasking, which would be another great topic in the future. We're just not good as humans at doing that. So uh, just life, but also the work that we do, there's never there's 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 the day that you plan and there's the day that you get and that's another evolution from my work too is just embracing the day that you get you you were talking earlier today about you know it was it was one of those days it's not the day that you planned right it's just the day that you got and if you can't switch to that and just embrace like okay this is where I'm at and this is the day I'm gonna have and it's messier than I thought it was gonna be and more complicated then you're gonna feel really beaten up so so how do you embrace kind of that. Um, we said it earlier is that checking in with yourself, you know, where am I at? How did I sleep last night? You know, what am I eating? Uh, how's my physical health? What's the quality of my relationships right now? So if I do know something else that you and I do, but I don't know if we'll get into it today or not is, is we, I mean, I actually do have a plan, you know, I actually have a plan of how I, you know, take care of myself and things I can do, you know, where I'm at. So, so if I'm feeling unfocused, I'm feeling overwhelmed. Uh, music is a really big, you know, reboot for me. So um, anytime, anywhere, and that's another thing I could have put in my purchase for $100 is that speaker I bought anywhere I'm at. I can plug that in and I use that in my sessions with people and it just, it changes the environment. It completely can change the environment of just having that song and, and music does, is powerful. We're, we're intrinsically attracted to rhythm and attracted to, to melody. So to, you change, you change the rhythm you're hearing outside of you and you can really change how you feel about your um, where you're at in the moment. Uh, other thing too is there's that thing like when you can't sleep, you know, people say just, you know, lay there anyway and just, you know, keep trying, you know, keep trying. And there's all this research like, no, it's not going to work. Get up, stretch, do something else. So if you're already feeling unfocused, sometimes you got to stop and say, whatever task I'm doing, I got to take a break from this task. I got to listen to a quick, you know, uh, joke or, you know, comedy, something on, on YouTube, or I've got to, listen to some music or I got to change my environment, walk around, breathe. Uh, sometimes you just can't grind your way through it. And sometimes you do the worst work and you just keep grinding through something, you know, and you need to just, you know, take a break. And so a combination of things is having music, uh, changing my direction, giving myself a break, you know, even a couple minute break. Um, doing my thesis was a real slog, you know, that was tough. And uh, got into this thing where I would take a 15 minute break. So if I had to write for an hour or two hours, I would say, if I write for an hour, then I'm going to give myself a 10 minute, you know, uh, game. One of my favorite games I can play. Did you set a timer for that? Yes, like, I had to. Yeah. Yeah. And w what I found is a lot of times is once you tell yourself there's an incentive in line, you find like maybe you don't need it. So maybe I could go an hour and a half. I'm like, well, I know it's in place. I know I'm giving myself an out. I'm giving myself a break. I'm giving myself a chance to change. And other times it's like, I can barely get through today and I set eight hours today to work on this you know project so I, I'm gonna lead that I'm gonna need that break every hour but yeah just knowing I had it setting a timer to be mindful to do it that's another thing we've talked about too is really setting you know actions in place to really uh, we talked about like the, the TED talk about the importance of play like it's really important to to do that there's at all ages it's important to play so um, doing that is just as as healthy as you know reading you know Odysseus or something like that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> reading Dostoevsky or something like that. It's just as important as doing these really heady kind of things is, you know, 
playing and maybe in the office getting a Nerf gun and, you know, shooting that, you know, around the office or playing tag or something, you know. I just watched that movie, you know, on tag, those guys that played tag for 30 years. And they, the theme was, this has kept these 10 guys connected for 30 years of their life. So they got to be part of their lives as they were getting married and divorced and people were losing people in their lives. But they always had this one thing that they would do. That meant, like, playing tag at funerals and the crazy things that they did. But it, it helped change, like, the weight of life. But having that one thing just kind of changed their life but kept them connected forever. Wow. That's kind of a side thing. But, but that's, like, the value of play. That's really the value of... of so, so you got to... It really sounds like... You know, it's being intentional right. and it's creating these spaces mm-hmm. um, to step away or just change literally the vibration. Completely. Right? Yeah. So there is something to be said about good vibrations. Right. Beach Boys. I hear you. <laughs> I feel uh, you still. I feel you now. Yeah. You know. Uh, and that's that cognitive dissonance again. You know, the brain is gets looped into a way of doing something, and you do something to shock it, a sound or something, and and it and it gives you that chance. It kind of wakes you up for a second, and that's uh, anything important that that we do comes from some kind of that dissonance that happens. Right. You know, and, and just changing the routines and changing what we do. Absolutely. So. Something um, my wife actually uh, shared with me um, is in uh, well, I'll, full disclosure, she's a. A therapist. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist. So, yeah, wrap your heads around that one. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a marriage. Yeah, it's a marriage. <laughs> well, I love you to death, dear. Um, but no, she taught me this concept of radical acceptance. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tara Brock did uh, wrote a, a book on that, and it's a big cornerstone of dialectical behavioral therapy. Um, but just basically, the core root of it is accept whatever it yes. is that's coming at you. Yep you, you know, radically accept those feelings, you know, of anger, frustration, uh, feeling unfocused, accept it. It's, you know, that's what's happening right mm-hmm. now in this moment. Um, not shaming yourself or blaming right, yourself. Right. right. Yeah. And really, you know, I think a lot of us, I'll speak for myself, I will push away those feelings or try to push them away. Um, and when you do that, you create more, more yeah. friction, right? friction more resistance, and stress, yep. resistance, and yep. you get even more unfocused. Mm-hmm. And so I think creating that space to have some of that acceptance and then also saying, okay, I feel that I see you and I'm okay with that, mm-hmm. you know, and use it. I like to use this quote a lot. It is what it is. Yeah. It is what it is. Yep. Right. And I don't have to change it. No, add to it or add label to it. it take or, away. Yeah. It is what it is. And now I'm going to give myself some space and kind of do a lot of the things that you talked about. Changing the rhythm, changing the vibes, yeah. doing something, getting up, walking, calling a friend, getting me out of this space so that I can, you know, regroup, recalibrate, reload, yeah. and get back after it, you know? I think even like the great minds, you know, Einstein and you know Newton, like their, their greatest inventions they'll say their greatest theories were accidental you know it's when they stopped thinking about the thing they kept grinding on they let go of it and also poof, then you know the genius struck you know then yeah. it happened i think that's a lot of how that's how life really works like you said it's just you know accepting the messy you know and it's a lot of dialogue i have with people you know in in our one-on-one sessions is is like chasing the ideal you know it's well it's not ideal well there is no ideal there's no such thing as there's an ideal like you said it's it just that's what it is. So all the option now is, is do you want to 
work with it or you want to work against it. That's really all there is moment to moment in our lives. It's just, you know, working with what you got or you want to fight against it and push it down and shame it and name it and, you know, take a swing at it, whatever you need to do. But all the, you know, kind of the wreckage that causes, you know, for you and the people that love you, you know, when you do that, um, is, is a lot as opposed, like you said, just radically kind of, you know, this is where it's at, you know, it's, it's got, it's it kind of stinks a little bit and it's got some thorns on it and it hurts and i don't like it but you know it's where it is right now so and i'm just gonna roll with it yeah i shared that with my colleague today you mentioned that it was a little bit of a rough one and you know i just looked at him and i said hey man it it just is what it is and this is where we're at today and we're gonna do our best to make tomorrow better yeah and we're gonna tackle whatever comes and you know we're just gonna keep clawing and fighting and you know taking one small step you know, to try to make tomorrow better. Yeah. Because that's, that's the choice that we have. We can either, you know, give up and succumb to this and throw in the towel and quit, but that's not going to help me or help the people around right. me. Right. Or I can, you know, say, all right, you know, well, that's, this is not ideal, and that's, but let's, you know, yeah. let's try to implement something or change something to make it better. And that's a really unspoken part of our work is we know that, you know, I both live kind of in a fishbowl. We know that what we do, how we react, you know, our emotions, you know, our frustration, how we act on that is showing the people that we are modeling. That's the prime way that we help people change is modeling how we live. And the way we show people how we live is when things get difficult and things are very, very imperfect, how do we, how do we, how do we navigate that? And that's when people, we learn the most about ourselves. That's how people learn the most about us too. You know, I was listening to somebody else talking about, somebody sharing somebody's stories of just perfection all the time is really boring. That's a boring story, right? That's a boring story about, you know, they want to, we want to hear the story of like, I, I hit the valley and I crashed and I got dirty and muddy and then I cleaned myself off and I started walking up that hill again. And that's the story we want to hear. Everybody wants to hear that. And that's where we learn. And that's what we're drawn to. We're drawn to imperfection. So when people say, well, it's not ideal. Well, now you're chasing the perfection again. And that's not part of, part of, you know, the real parts of life is really, it's actually really messy. Right, and the idea of perfection is relative. Right. Right. So your perfection is different than mine. And it's so, changing all the time. Yeah. So how can one ever achieve? Right. Yeah. Like you talk about, like changing the goalposts all the time. You keep changing the goalposts, and you're always dissatisfied because you never, you never get a goal. Right. You know, and we do that to ourselves. So. Yeah. So you know, kind of talking about, you know, the challenges and stuff like that. Has there ever been? Because I think there's a big fear out there for failing. You know, yeah, I think that's a, a big lot thing. Of people struggle with that. Yeah. I, I have myself, and especially, you know, teenage Mitch and, you know, early 20s Mitch, for sure, you know, is completely averse to failure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I realize now that actually failure is moving, is a process of moving forward. Yeah. Right? You, you know, it's all about. You know, it's unavoidable. It's unavoidable, it's but that's unavoidable. how we learn. Right? Yeah. So we fail forward as we yeah, and I falling forward. Talk about, yeah. Right. So yeah. in speaking of that, has there been a time in your life where you look at a failure that was actually something that was really positive that ended up being maybe a catalyst to positive change? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, yeah. Do you have a favorite failure? I mean, yeah. I know that sounds odd to. No, ask, I mean, you're right. I think every failure has the opportunity for that growth if you do take the time to get away from shaming. Your, yourself and the people around you are blaming people that you know that you think caused you to fail I think that's that's a real dead end you know for for growth but of all of my failures um, the one that pops in mind was my first uh, foray into college when I first went to 
to a college to, to be in pre-law, and I won't name the college, but um, I it was my chance to get out on my own, and, uh, you know, I was the oldest, so I was always kind of looking out for my siblings and, you know, helping raise them, and going to college was like, hey, it's summer camp, man. We're going to go do, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not going to study until like two in the morning. We're going to go to Taco Bell and, you know, watch Monty Python and this amalgamation of just like, you know, having my professor saying, Hey, um, saw you bailed on the test, but I saw you playing volleyball. You know, that kind of stuff was happening to me. And I actually was on, you know, academic probation. You know, I'll say that. Um, it's definitely not my proudest moment, but from that, I realized that course of my life was definitely not going to be satisfying. You know, what I was working on, what I was studying, you know, that wasn't where I wanted to be. And that led to some evaluation of like, why am I, why do I want to be a lawyer? Why do I want to do that? And I realized I was kind of living other people's dreams, you know, and then to find out the baseline of why I agreed to that, you know, kind of for myself was I want to help people. So this, that's what led to this next step was, you know, how do I really just immerse myself in, you know, being with people and helping people. So I think that's one of my favorite failures. Yeah. So how about you? What's your favorite failure? Uh, so I definitely have a, a really good failure and that is, um, my first foray, as you say, into being a supervisor. Um, I was, uh, I started my career as case manager. Um, What's a case manager for people that don't know? So, so a case manager is someone that, um, uh, is working in a multi-business team, so usually, usually direction of the clinician, which is kind of driving the treatment of uh, the clients that are being served. And the case manager is job is to work with the plan that the clinician comes up with to really uh, serve the client in the best way possible. So linking them to services is a huge um, part of being a case manager and also working with clients and developing skills. Mm-hmm. It's really focused on skills building. Really like the foot soldiers of the... Absolutely, if you, yeah. If you look at the armies. Absolutely. We're out there, we're helping, you know, do the budgeting. In the community. In the community. In, in the in messy the, stuff. In the home, yeah. yep. in, in, in the store, in, in, you know, in line at the welfare office. Right. Helping people, helping advocating, people navigate helping people those, fight. Yep. those just ridiculous systems. Yeah. Um, that nobody could do. Most people couldn't get through those systems anyway. I, I couldn't get through no. them in the beginning. It took a lot of no. you know, <laughs> learning and asking questions and figuring out how the whole thing works. And that oftentimes, sometimes I still don't know because they're always changing things. Um, but yeah, it's really, you know, you're on, you're on the front line yeah. and, and helping people and elbow to elbow. So um, sorry about that. I just want to clear. No, oh, absolutely. I, I assume I'm everybody knows the language that, that we use is... Yeah, so I, so I forget that. supervisor role. Yeah, so I had been doing that for a few years, and an opportunity came up um, to become a supervisor. Um, so I made that transition, and it was really tough. It was really hard, and I failed a lot. I made a lot of mistakes as a new manager. There wasn't really a lot of... Training, like we just talked about. Yeah, I mean, and... and no fault to certain people, other people. Just part of. It just sometimes it, you can't. There's you just, just can't a lack of. You'll you know in this work there's oh, we're underfunded and understaffed. That's a always you know that's pretty constant in the yep. work that we do. So there just wasn't a lot of support there for a new manager, but or even time to. You know, it's not even time to train you or get you ready for transitions. Like, we need somebody now. now. It's always mm-hmm. now. It's always this. And that's tyranny another discussion. Of the tyranny of the urgent. You read my mind. Yep. It's always that that's ever present in what we do. 
And you and I have now found ways to stop and, and push back against that because I think the worst work happens when you go by the tyranny of the urgent. But right. so you were yeah, doing your so, best and you so, were no so training. I, no training, so I transitioned and um, and even the you know the best part of that is I was um, a case manager uh, peers of my coworkers and then all of a sudden I transitioned to um, the boss. You know. Mm-hmm. And uh, all the connotations that come with that, right. and the oh, it used to be like this. Power struggles, now you're, and yeah. now I'm changed. holding people accountable, yeah. and you've changed, man. Yeah, you know, it's like you know, I don't want to, but you know, mm-hmm. you still you the have roles to, change. You have to do stuff, and if you don't, then yeah. like we can't keep the doors open. Right, the the roles um, change. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and so that was really challenging, and so I failed a lot, um, but I think the even bigger than that. Um, is a year into that the program closed when you know we lost it, there's this whole contract thing and the in the contract ultimately went away and i really took that very hard which happens very quickly you and yeah. i know that happens in that in that work and so um but because of that i got this amazing opportunity to go work at a wellness center um that was peer run and peer driven and so so what would that mean? Um, Let's keep breaking the language. Just so. Sure. So that means that um, people with lived experience, mm-hmm. a.k.a. living with mental illnesses, mm-hmm. um, were both receiving services and providing the services right. of this Which is, is still revolutionary. I mean, I know one of our friends that mentored both of us, I mean, he really showed us how this is revolutionary have that you know not a lot of systems have that in place you know those options so and uh quite honestly i probably never would have worked there had the had we not lost this program and um you know i was in this position where you know i just got into a relationship and starting to build my life and had a lot of financial obligations so i was kind of like well you know, this is a place I can I'll go for now, and I'll yeah. give it a shot, not knowing at the time that it was probably going to be, no, it not probably was. It was the best um, learning experience of my life and culminated in a, just an amazing experience working um, side by side and with, you know, peers um, and, you know, really doing some of the best work that I've yeah, done in my life. Yeah, some really cutting edge stuff. Yeah. Really, absolutely, yeah. and just seeing the change in people and how powerful it is to have shared experience and shared stories and how people can really help each other heal and help themselves heal. Mm -hmm. It's just amazing stuff. I think a lot of, we found that that, you know, that same place was the microcosm of society was happening in that place every day. And, you know, some, for what it's worth, I mean, the things that, you know, that we were able to do, you know, we've both been able to apply those to all parts of our lives, you know, and other people have taken those things and run with those things. And what's a better legacy than that, you know, for us to, right. I always wonder you know, kind of at my funeral, you know, what, what will be said, you know, who's going to, who's going to say what, and if I can, like you've said earlier, if I can, if anybody else can say like, Hey, you know, this guy made a difference, you know, he helped me out, you know, in the time that maybe nobody else believed me, I didn't believe in myself. I can't think of a better legacy you know, and that really kind of is the foundation for why I would do this work. I'm sure you, you know, echo the same thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so, you know, that's just a great example in my opinion for my personal self of where I went, I I took on this massive failure and, and 
had all these doubts and then that that failure turned into one of the best learning experiences of my life yeah where we really got to work together and do right. some amazing work so and, and don't get me wrong that was some of the hardest work i've ever oh done. definitely absolutely the hardest work i've ever done but also that i i say that i've been inoculated and by that experience in the sense that you know there there's very rarely now in, in my career where i come across something that's like ooh, you know uh, it's just because that you know that center gave me so yeah, many so tools much to build and on. Yeah. so much uh you know experience and that it's you know it's really helped me be the person I am just today. that saying and you know a diamond is just charcoal under pressure right and that's that goes into some of what we were saying earlier that concept of of failing is unavoidable if you want to be better tomorrow a month from now a year from now you're gonna you're gonna have to fail and the only reason you can fail is if you give it a shot you know and if you don't give it a shot then you never get a chance to you know to score i mean you never get a chance to learn or to grow so it's it's absolutely part of that process of sharpening your skills and honing who you are and improving yourself and your communities is by putting yourself out there where it gets messy you know it's just that's just the way it is you know otherwise you live kind of by yourself you know and you're not really i don't think anybody's ever going to be the best version of themselves if they're living that way you're just afraid of trying you know so so all right this one is definitely uh this will be tougher for me this will be better for you uh, what book do you feel like you're off, often giving to other people i'm after modifying my my answer but well, well i already mentioned uh this book already but absolutely the four agreements which is now again the five agreements that hasn't been printed yet, right? It's still it's just, no. It's print, uh, there's a five agreement the fifth, book. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought yes, I saw on the absolutely. website, but okay. Um, Don Miguel Ruiz, uh, he is uh, a shaman. Um, in uh, he grew up in Mexico, and uh, is now in the states. And uh, he came up with the the five agreements, and absolutely just an amazing book. Um, and if you can practice. Any one of those, those skills like you know, like we were talking about, don't make assumptions and uh, don't future promises. We haven't talked about that yet, but you yeah. know, be impeccable with your word. Um, yeah, then your life is just going to be infinitely, you know, better than it was before. And so, I often go. That's my go-to. Yeah. Um, uh, as far as manager books, I think uh, one of my favorites is um, the Contrarian. Um, by Steve Sample, that's a that's a fantastic book too. It's really you know it talks about you know thinking gray and, and taking your time and, and gathering as much information as you can, but not waiting too long to make a decision. So it's just got some really neat things in there that are are counter to what you would intuitively think would be the right thing to do in certain you know leadership situations. Yeah. Yep. So those are my. Okay, so we talked about, you know, the the inception of the podcast was, of course, you know, our shared work and love for the work we do, but also our shared love for uh, geek culture. Yes. And um, so when I saw this question, I'm thinking comic books is the first thing that popped in my head because I'm a huge comic book person. Um, so I may two-part this. I may give the comic book I give to people more often and then the book that I should be giving to out to people. Uh, when I have the opportunities to do it, so if I were to give out, I'll I'll start with the the, the one that popped my head first. Uh, comic book I would refer to somebody to would be I think the one that I got you reading was Saga, um, 
I think that you know there's a reason why it won Eisner Awards and it's, mind blown. Yeah, y'all. it's just, amazing. Yeah, and that or Black Science, but I would say Saga is the one I give to about everybody. I can't give Black Science to everybody, but uh, by Reminder, but. Brian K. Vaughn did Saga. If you, if you haven't read it, um, there's they're up. They're well over issue fifty now. But it's it's really just you strip it all down the sci fi and the fantasy and the beautiful kind of like Romeo Juliet meets Star Wars meets everything else. It's really just about family, you know, when you really strip it down. And the kind of what we've been talking about, the theme we've talked about, like the messy part of families. You know, how to embrace kind of the messiness of a family and what causes someone to keep fighting for fighting for love or, you know, fighting to keep the family together. And that's really what that, you know, book really is about. So that's when I can, I encourage everybody to read, you know, regardless of their age, I think that can be for everybody. Majority of a lot of our movies and TVs are graphic novels right now. That's another, that's of course another discussion. So that'd be the, the first thing that popped in my head. The second thing would be at Fresno State, I had a fantastic um, teacher, Mr. Foster. He actually bought this book for our entire class and he buys it out of his own pocket. He buys this book for each of his classes. And um, it's he, he specializes in a lot of nonprofit work, and he's done it for years. It's uh, called Overcoming the Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni. It's just, it's another of those books. There's so many takeaways for your life. But if you really look at your life, there's not really much of your life you're not working on a team, right? Marriage, uh, family, relationships, uh, even your relationship with your with your uh post office or the restaurant or anybody you go into, you are creating a temporary team, you know, like a common goal of, and you and I've talked about before, like the base of like grouping up is, is kind of a primal way of, you know, protecting ourselves. We want to share resources and have someone to watch your back. And so we're kind of built as humans to be in groups. Uh, I don't believe any man is an Island, you know, as much as I thought that when I was, you know, a a teen, (laughs) A frustrated teen, but nobody is is an island, uh, not a not a happy one. So this gives you those real core concepts of how to really bridge those differences and how to really take the differences that somebody else has and say, all right, this is you're really good at this. You and I've talked about this. Is um, you know, I think you're much more strategic than I am, and you're much more you know, kind of maybe say business minded than I am. I'm much more kind of out of the box and kind of crazy, kind of creative. You know, don't don't fit. You know. Um, certain structures but when you put those together that's a fantastic pairing you know of two of two people so this book talks about how to how to kind of identify those different strengths and use those to your best benefit to to really get the most out of your team so and that's a lot of both of our works is working on teams so you got to work on a team and manage a team and be part of a team and so yeah this is a fantastic book for for anybody i'll drift with you anytime brother yeah (laughs) that's a pacific rim shout out if you don't know okay man so here we are. If you could go back in time, talking about geek culture, a la Marty McFly, <laughs> uh, what advice would you give your say twenty year old self? And it'd be really great if you could kind of tell us kind of the setting, mm-hmm. where you are, what's going on, what year is time. it, and um, just what what advice would you give to yourself? And also. What advice might you ignore that oh, maybe from others. you were receiving yeah. at the time that you really, you know... That didn't help out. Didn't, didn't help work. much, yeah. yeah. Okay, so 20-year-old self, that would have been... I'm aging myself here. 
Yeah. That's right. I'm the old gay. Um, the, the advice I would have given myself if I could look back now was this gripping fear of committing. And I think it was part of, I am a Gen X, you know, I'm part, I'm in that culture and Gen X, the nineties, we, you know, we gave the world grunge and plaid shirts. And I think the golden age of hip hop, um, which I love. Um, so as much as it, there's those things, there was this part of my generation was the future's not certain. And that was what was being messaged to a lot of us. And you and I've talked about this. We'll talk about this in the future. We've passed that fear down to millennials now. You know, I feel like we passed down this fear of the future to them. And the future didn't look really bright, you know, for me at the time. So the thought of picking something meant I'm going to be stuck and I'm going to be miserable in a career or in a job. So I've looked back now. It was this kind of very fatalistic view. If I pick this, then I'm going to be stuck and miserable. I'll be stuck there the rest of my life. You know, I think... Uh, like, uh, I don't know why Fred Flintstone popped in my mind, just doing the same thing at the quarry every day and then coming home and then just <laughs> yep, doing the same thing. Time. That's right. <laughs> and just waiting for that to be done because the rest of your life is going to be horrible during work and the only good time is when you're done. And that's the kind of things I had around me and that was what the world was kind of messaging to people like me. So it, the advice I'll give myself now is just try it. Just get in there and try it, you know. So as much as that's been a theme that you and I didn't plan on, but that fear of failing, you know, or maybe just not even failing. I just didn't like it. And that's okay. It's okay just to pick something else. And it, that really froze me for a lot of my 20s was, you know, not picking something. So part of me wishes, you know, that I would have jumped in sooner. But we also talk about that compassion for yourself. I am who I am today because of the choices I made. So, no, I don't want to change it. But um, I would have told myself, just try it. Just get in there and try it. And it's okay if, you know, it doesn't work. You can try something else. Um, advice I, I wished I would have ignored something that was really big in that part of my life I was working in that time I was still working with youth I was working I was running a street sweeper believe it or not um, I was still DJing quite a bit full time and um, advice has been given was by a few people especially one mentor um, that concept of mentoring is that the other person knows what's best for me. And you and I've talked about this before is that concept of my evolution of kind of, we've talked about mentoring. I think the best place in life is to have someone that you feel like is mentoring you. You have a chance to mentor somebody else and keeping that throughout your life. You have that kind of, you know, those three kind of positions in your life. So the mentor I had at the time was really trying to create not kind of what I thought would be the best for me, what, what, but he thought was best for me. So, listening to a lot of advice that he gave was, you know, I want you to be more like me, so stop doing this, like stop DJing, you know, stop liking the things that you like. You can't do this and do this. And that's advice I wish I would have ignored sooner because that also put me in this kind of, also this kind of frozen state. Like, I don't know who I am right now. This identity crisis kind of happened and that person probably will never know that. I don't know that I'll ever have that conversation with that person, but I see now that that was not beneficial to me, you know, for sure. And that led to my evolution of how I mentor people now is, hey, I don't want you to be me. I want you to be the best version of you. And that goes into the therapy I do. That goes into any side-by-side -side work I do with, with, you know, other people or peers or is, you know, you be you and, and where do you want to get to? And can I help you do that? And I think that's, that's true mentoring. So, so advice I give, just try it. Just get in there and try it and get messy. Wish I would have avoided 
um, listening to the advice of kind of saying no to things, my passions that I loved about myself and saying no to those things for the sake of, you know, trying to conform, I guess, to what somebody else expected. So yeah, that'd be my answer. How about you? What do you wish you would have said and what do you wish you would have ignored? Okay, so, uh, early 20s, right? Mm-hmm. So, let me give you a little backdrop. Um, this is early 2000s. <laughs> so, um, I'm, I, I, I like to be a little different, so I don't really want to... I guess I'd get to be a little Gen X and Millennial. True, you're in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in that crossover uh, time frame. Um, and so, what's going on? Gosh, there's so much. So just this explosion of technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and the dot coms. access. All the dot coms, yeah. And all this access. Um, so it was just a lot was happening, a lot was going on, a lot of, a lot of change, a lot of rapid change. Um, I mean, I went through a time, a very short time frame from, you know, having no phone to a pager to a cell phone a in a very short amount of time. <laughs> yeah, happened very Right, long. and yeah. so that was mind blown. Um, and so it's like I'm navigating this this world, uh, this new world, and these new new expectations. Right, and this is kind of the the MySpace era, right, where we're yeah. creating our online identity. Your digital identities, and, yeah. And you know, trying cultivating to, that version of yourself cultivating the best version of yourself i would say yeah that you know you were trying to put your best self out there almost fictitious it was a false self it was a it was a fake self but this was so new that none of us knew any stuff we're just trying to be cool and like try to get dates right i mean like (laughs) your top eight yeah your top eight eight, eight, and i was like this is cool if you go to my page i'm forcing you to listen to music the music i like yeah Yeah, now this is so foreign for probably Anybody else? Anybody else? Yeah. But there was this really cool time. I made you listen to Top Gun, by the way. Um, <laughs> Danger Zone. So if anybody knows that song, bad jam. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, and I, I, I just smashed through, you know, college, and because that was the expectation, and I jumped right into, you know, case management work, um, but I was still trying to discover myself, just trying to, trying to figure myself out. Um, and I remember that during that time frame, I was really, really angry. Um, I don't know exactly what, where the origins of that was coming from. Um, I know that I was exposed to, you know, to case management and to working with individuals with, you know, some serious trauma in their lives. And I, and I think I, I was looking at the disparity I think, between, you know, the haves and the have-nots, mm-hmm. and um, I remember I was really big into, like, punk and hardcore at that yeah. time, and so it was a really great time for me to express my anger, and I had a lot of anger. Injustice of the system. Yeah. yeah, and so I think I think I would have gone back and been like, dude, just chill out. Yeah. Just chill out, bro. You know, I, you know, if somebody cut me off, I was trying to, you know, speed up and cut them off, and just doing a lot of really dumb things like that mm-hmm. um, just because I was hurting and so yeah. I think and I didn't know how to con- I didn't know how to contend with that I didn't have the skills um, that I do now, now and yeah. so I think I would say chill out bro yeah just take take a chill just yeah. relax take, take some time out you know give yourself that space I wish I would have told myself to meditate mm. oh my gosh mm. yeah just that was a transformative experience for mm. me, realizing that, hey, I'm not the only one that have these intrusive thoughts that come in my head right. that I have no control over. You know, right. everybody else is dealing with that too. Uh, 
and so yeah, I think I would I would do that. I think um, as far as to avoid, um, I think at that time I was really living for the other, hmm. uh, living to you pleasing somebody else. everybody else's expectations, and if I didn't achieve X, Y, or Z, that you know I would be a failure hmm. or um, not worthy. Yeah, you know. Um, so I think I would definitely go back and and say to whoever at that time was saying you need to do this or that to you know to bugger off really because <laughs> it's just <laughs> I mean right it's like no life is live for yourself yeah. you know live live for you live for the things that you know bring you joy and happiness and um, you know spread love not hate I mean goes really to simple topic. stuff man I mean it's just Another topic we're going to get into is obligation, right? Yeah. You're talking about, like, the danger of obligation. Right. And, yeah. and how that really railroads people. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so yeah. I think advice to give to myself, chill out, relax, meditate, uh, avoid living for the other. Live for yourself. Yeah. Absolutely. Good. Yeah, man. Simple. This is good. <laughs> this is great stuff. It is. Thank you. Thank you for sharing this time with me. Definitely. Are we? Yeah. All right. Though this is, this is had. I mean, this went much faster than I thought it was going to go. I mean, it was. was I right. thought we would. It would be harder to fill the time. It definitely did no, not. And it went by fast. <laughs> it did not take that. Yeah. That much. To no. Really fill that time. So. Yeah. Thank you too, man. I'm looking forward to the future. I'm excited. You know, I hope that somebody listens. I hope somebody can connect with what we're doing, and I know that you and I are going to be growing together and through this process and. So I'm excited for the future, man. Thanks for sharing this time with me, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And thanks for all you guys for hanging out, if you've made it this far. Yeah, and, congratulations. Uh, much more awesomeness to come. That's right, I promise. All right. All right, that's it. Sign out. Peace out. One in the box. Boom. Boom.